on the markets for this morning. First of all, in the commodity markets, uh, Brent crude oil is trading at $53.60 a barrel. Gold, uh, it's up about a dollar in Asian trading at $1,951 an ounce. Uh, the US dollar is slipping a little bit. It's at 102.6 against the Japanese yen. And then around Asian stock markets, in Australia, the SX200 off about uh, 0.4%. The Nikkei 225 in Japan is more or less flat. Uh, the Cosby is up about 1% in South Korea. Looks like the Hang Seng is going to add about half a percent at the open. Thank you very much for listening this morning. Stay tuned. Back check coming up in just a moment with Hugh Chiverton and Janice Wong. The weather forecast, mainly cloudy, cool in the morning, dry with sunny intervals during the day. Maximum temperature is going to be around 19 degrees. And then, unfortunately, it's going to become appreciably colder later tomorrow. The temperatures are going to fall to around 8 degrees in the urban areas on Friday and Saturday morning and a couple of degrees lower in the new territories. Right now, the temperature out at the observatory is 16, de- 16 degrees and it's 64% relative humidity. It's 8.31. Here's Samantha Butler with the half-hour news. Several former pro-democracy lawmakers and dozens of other politicians and activists have been arrested for allegedly violating the national security law. According to party members and social media posts, it's believed the arrests are linked to a primary vote held by pan-Democrats last year for LegCo elections. The League of Social Democrats said former lawmaker Leung Guok Hung and a vice chairperson Jimmy Sham were arrested. Others rounded up include former lawmakers Gary Fan, Chu Hoi Dick and Al Nok Hin. The Civic Party's Alvin Young and from the Democratic Party, Wu Chi Wai, Lam Chuk Ting, James Toe and Andrew Wan. The Pan-Democrats held the poll in July to choose their candidates for the now-delayed LegCo elections. At the time, the chief executive, Carrie Lam, warned the polls could amount to an act of subversion. The head of the World Health Organization says he's very disappointed China still hasn't authorized the entry of a team of international experts to examine the origins of the virus in Wuhan. Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus said he'd contacted Beijing for answers. I have once again made, made it clear that the mission is a priority for WHO and the international team. I have been assured that China is speeding up the internal procedure for the earliest possible deployment. President Trump has signed an executive order banning transactions with eight Chinese software applications, including Ant Group's Alipay, Tencent's QQ Wallet and WeChat Pay. It will further escalate tensions with Beijing before President-elect Joe Biden takes office this month. The official said the move is aimed at curbing the threat to Americans posed by Chinese software applications, which have large user bases and access to sensitive data. And the Governing Workers' Party in North Korea has begun a Congress meeting, its eighth such gathering, and the first since May 2016. In an address, the North Korean leader, Kim Jong-un, said his five-year economic plan had failed to meet its goal in almost every sector. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome to Backchat. I'm Hugh Chiverton. Your co-host today is Janice Wong. Janice, good morning to you. Good morning, Hugh. Today, nano-flats and new COVID arrangements for schools. A recent survey by concern group Libra Research Community found that more than 8,000 small-sized units of less than 260 feet, usually known as nano-flats, have been sold in the past decade. They're popular among first-time buyers with tight budgets as they're more affordable. But are they actually bad for your mental and your physical health? Are they even a good investment? Should they, in fact, be 
be banned in new buildings? Could they be banned? Or are they just a necessary evil? Later, we're going to be discussing new school arrangements announced by Education Secretary yesterday, where, um, sorry, on Monday, when schools are allowed to conduct half-day face-to-face classes for more than, no more than one-sixth of the total number of students. So who can go to school? Who can't? Does it reach a balance between controlling the pandemic and students' learning needs? And uh, also, we'd like to hear your thoughts on uh, breaking news this morning. Dozens of opposition lawmakers and activists have been arrested by police under a massive national security law operation, with media reporting as many as 50 have been detained, including Ventus Lau, Tiffany Yun, Gwyneth Ho, Fergus Lung, Gary Fan, Eddie Chu, Lester Shum, Prince Wong, Owen Chow, Alvin Young, Nkin Wai, Wong Pak Yu, Frankie Fung, James To, Andrew Wan, Lam Chuk Ting, Roy Tam, Sam Chung, Helena Wong, Wu Chi Wai, Lung Kwok Hung, Jimmy Sham and Benny Tai. Our number is 233-88266. You can email backchat at rthk.hk or you can go to our Facebook page, which is Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. A couple of comments um, related to uh, earlier discussions just uh, before we get into the uh, main topics uh, today. Uh, Ernest says, Dear Backchat, in 2002, the BBC World Service had a contest to find the world's top tune. Irish Republicans mobilised and voted in the anti-British song A Nation Once Again. For my part, I don't care too much about Person of the Year, but perhaps Tim Hamlet might for once turn his critical gaze upon himself and reflect on the contribution he and his impeccably liberal friends, Hong Kong... Uh, Hong Kong Free Press et al. have made to curtailing free speech in Hong Kong with their entirely uncritical support of the protest movement, its self-serving myths and lies and appallingly misguided tactics. That's from Ernest. And Mary says, Happy New Year. Here's a conundrum. Uh, The Secretary for Constitutional Mainland Affairs said district council members are public officers and should swear to uphold the basic law and pledge allegiance to the SAR. But the district count, but quote, the district councils are supposed to be an advisory body focusing on district affairs and livelihood issues, according to said former veteran district councillor Lung Chi Chung of the DAB. And in fact, the administration has been falling over backwards to sideline the councillors and restrict their purview. So if they are merely an advisory body, then the members of the 500 or so organisations will also be obliged to take oaths of allegiances. Uh, stand back as members rush for the door. That's from Mary. Thank you very much indeed. All right, our guests in the uh, first half of the program this morning as we discuss nano housing are Peter Churchhouse, Hong Kong-based economic and markets analyst specializing in real estate, and Neon Liu, a researcher at Labour Labour Research Community. Good morning to you both. Um, Good morning. Good morning. Um, Mr. Liu, maybe we can start with you. Um, Your think tank has just released a report on nano flats in Hong Kong. Uh, According to your report, these flats we're talking about are no larger than 260 square feet, uh, making up around maybe 13% of total private housing supply in 2019. I mean, uh, what what long-term problems are we looking at here? Okay. The problem is that um, I think the general public and the government have um, overlooked the problem for the long time because we don't have a full research on this issue and we also usually before our research we usually uh, quote government uh, statistic number of flats under 2015 and it only have um, several hundreds every year and um, I think before this research we often overlook the extent of the problem have been underestimated and I think it, we are looking at the long-term effect of on the maybe social side. And during COVID-19, we, we don't 
I think many households have um, spatial conflict when living in a small spaces. They need to work at home and they need to study at home. And usually they are, there are unnecessary social contacts within the household. So there may be some long-term psychological issue when dealing with flats with ex- extremely small sizes. Also, and we also face, um, this, this, those are the most extreme cases that um, with um, less user-friendly designs, such as this flat um, usually has closed toilet. This flat usually has open kitchen, which is very close to the sleeping area. And also this flat, when it only has a average size of 219 square feet, but but uh, it usually has balcony, and sometimes it has balcony as well as utility platform. Do you expect the rate at which uh, these nanoflots are built to increase further under the uh, current economic downturn? I think so, because um, one, one of the uh, reasons behind is that um, the housing price has not been... Um, um, turn down or adjust and in a high level. Therefore, the uh, affordability problem is, uh, is still faced by the general public. What's, what's actually wrong with nano flats, these small-scale flats? What's the problem? I think um, the problem is that it highlights the um, policy flaws of the current government. Um, there has been a long time, for almost 10 years, the government is selling the point that um, by merely by increasing the quantity of housing supply and the land supply, we can face we can solve the housing problem in Hong Kong. But um, the Lano flat um, is um, the symbol of the subpar housing quality in Hong Kong because um, when we talked in recent three or four years, the um, quantity of private housing supply um, is quite um, enough, but uh, but many of those are actually uh, hotel room-like land flats. I don't think um, this kind of supply can solve the long-term housing need of Hong Kong people. So when it comes to housing supply, I agree with the line of government, but I think we also need to look at the quality of the house too. Otherwise, the supply of housing will not be solving Hong Kong housing problem. Peter Churchhouse, good morning to you. Good morning. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Um, what do you think about that? The, I mean, this is sort of saying that you know the nano flats amount to quite a sizable proportion, really, of the of the flats that are that are sold in Hong Kong. Do you think that's a sign that there's something wrong? That's something that the government should be acting on? Well, it's running at about seven percent of the total completions at the present time. And, and, and I think, quite frankly, Hong Kong's in the Stone Ages when it comes to some of these aspects. The rest of the world has been living with open-plan kitchens and, and, uh, and interior bathrooms with mechanical ventilation for decades. I mean, I've got a 3,000-square-foot apartment in Auckland and New Zealand, three, three, uh, uh, three, bed, three bathrooms. Every one of them is interior and mechanically ventilated, and it has an open-plan kitchen. This is common in the rest of the world, and it's only taken in the last uh, eight or ten years 
that the Hong Kong government has allowed this sort of thing to happen. So really, we're just coming out of the Stone Ages on that. On the issue of flat sizes, it is absolutely true that by that metric, Hong Kong is the worst developed housing market in the world, without doubt. The average flat size in Hong Kong, and this is across the entire market, is about 480 square feet. Uh, even in Singapore, which is a genuinely land-starved country, the average size is about 860 square feet. The most of the rest of the developed world is between 1,000 and 1,500 square feet. If you're lucky enough to be Australian, Canadian, or, or U.S., you're living in uh, 2,000 to 2,200 square feet. So Hong Kong is right at the bottom of the league tables when it comes to size, and that that's absolutely correct and so these reports are actually pointing that out but what are the reasons uh, that we're getting these nano flats quite frankly the two that stand out not just the government rules one is demographics and one is financial uh, if we look at the demographics uh, in hong kong today uh, only and almost 50 percent of households have either one or two people Back in 1985, only 30% were one or two people. Back then, a third of the households were five or plus people. Today, it's only 11%. So you've seen a, a significant shrinking of average household size. Therefore, you don't need perhaps quite su such big flats. The, second, the, the major issue in my uh, book really is government's uh, absolutely stranglehold on production of housing. Uh, if we look at production of housing pre-SARS, uh, uh, pre average production was 29, uh, 24 to 29,000 units a year. That's dropped to around 13,000 these days. So you, you've got population still increasing, but the supply of housing going down, house prices are up dramatically, small flats are up 700% since uh, in the last 18 years since SARS. Uh, so that's a, that's a huge impact on affordability. So to me, it's the affordability picture that is probably the biggest factor in creating demand for these smaller flats because it involves a smaller ticket size. So, Mr. Churchhouse, will a massive project like a Lantau Tomorrow help reduce the need for nanoflats? Well, don't get me on the Lantau Tomorrow project. I, I, I think... We need to do a, a serious amount of uh, feasibility studies on this project. Um, quite frankly, there's a heck of a lot the government could do without spending $600 billion on reclamation. There are thousands of hectares of almost shovel-ready land available around Hong Kong and brownfield sites, sites out near uh, 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 Junk Bay and so on, which could house... 60, 70, 80,000 people, no problem at all. You could start building tomorrow if government had the, 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 the ticker and the courage to get in and do it. Lantau is not going to produce anything till 2030, 35. So we've got a problem now. It's not, we can't wait till 2030, 35 to fix this problem. It can be fixed now. You just have to have a government which has the will to, 
to act. There's the average size, you can talk about that, but there's also this extremity, which is the very, very small size. Isn't there an argument that uh, if such flats do cause um, physical uh, uh, danger, uh, in the sense that, you know, we have a lot of problems in Hong Kong with, uh, with ventilation and, uh, you know, it seems disease is being spread uh, through poor ventilation, uh, and also just the, the mental problems, the stress associated with, with, uh, with uh, tiny flats, which the Libra Research Community have been looking at, then given those things there's an argument for the government to say no or just on on health public health grounds we, we're not going to allow that we're going to set a minimum well everybody else in the world can do this why can't we everybody else has uh, open plan kitchens and indoor bathrooms with ventilation what's to stop us doing the same thing do, do other places there's have minimum do other places have minimum sizes i don't know do other cities have minimum now, some minimum? places do but most people most places do not and if you go to uh, to major cities like London, New York, uh, and uh, places like Sydney and so on, it's not uncommon to find 250 to 300 square foot uh, 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 self-contained flats. I've lived in them myself quite comfortably. As long as they're well-designed and well-ventilated, as you say, they can be perfectly comfortable for one person, maybe two. Certainly not a family of five or six. Don't get me wrong, but uh, I, I think when you're getting down to the... 120 square foot range, which is, I think, what we're seeing in Hong Kong. There are some developments that are producing units which are, uh, are absolutely tiny. I think you, you, you're starting to get into a problem there. But uh, certainly in the 220, 250, 300 square foot range, they can be designed and built to be perfectly comfortable. I've lived in them myself for long periods of time in other countries. Not a problem. Mr. Liu? Uh, may, may I add to the point that yes. um, I think maybe the area is a big point because um, when you talk about 250 and 300, it may be enough for a one person's family. But um, when we are talking about um, maybe limiting the nano flat is um, to uh, encourage the developer to build less flats with 260, which is a equivalent to the example that you have raised. Because um, I'm not fundamentally uh, um, against maybe open studio flat or open kitchen, but when it comes to maybe around 200 leads, um some of the real example is so that um, the, the distance between the bed and the kitchen is quite, quite close. It is less than one meter. I don't think um, any um, normal person can live in this flat um, Comfortably. Yeah, if you if you're coming to Hong Kong uh, at at the moment and uh, being accommodated in some of these hotels uh, for three weeks, I can tell you these are way smaller than that. These are abs these are uh, less than shoebox size. I mean, I was staying in one recently that didn't even have a chair. It didn't have a table or a desk. It had a perfectly adequate bathroom. Uh, yes, but so you know, I, that, that, that's what you're forcing people to live in now in hotels in, in, the, in, this, uh, in this COVID environment. So on, on the one hand, you're saying, uh, you, you know, we should be increasing the size, but you're forcing people to, to live in, uh, in, in COVID hotels, uh, which are totally unsuited to purpose. But hotel is not same as studio flat because we only um, rest in hotel for a short amount of time, but when we come to housing, we expect it to be long-lasting for maybe a hundred years and to adapt for changing house, household needs. 
So we need more space for more flexibility too. Uh, Mr. Liu, what, what about the um, the point that the problem? I mean, what what do you think is the cause of this? What is, is it? Isn't it just the sort of macroeconomics and the way that the um, uh, the government uh, system works here with the high land uh, policy and so on? Um, um, I think um, it's definitely a role of the government in uh, maybe let's say fair policy that allow the the industry sector to build such a flat, but it also have an economic reason behind. Many concern that we, we may be uh, deterring the starter buyer to buy um, quite, uh, a rather affordable house, but I think there may be other ways for them to, to buy, like in, to buy a, a, a home in a second market. Um, I think um, rather than uh, the starter buyers, I think some of the buyers actually see this uh, sector of market as a investment tool because of the uh, high rent value and the rocketing price of a small flat, and actually, uh, especially the new one. Uh, and are they right? Do you, are, are they good investments? Um, in the past year, few years, if you buy in a maybe rather earlier time, it, it may be for the top 10 cases, and on average, they earn maybe $2.3 million by exchanging it, by transferring it in, in maybe short amount of time. But um, in recent time, it may not because um, some comment that uh, maybe the price sell by the uh, developer are too high and the investor may not gain a, a awesome profit of it. Peter Churchhouse, would you say they're they good investment? Yeah. You've got to ask the question, why are the prices too high? Because there's no supply. It's that simple. When you cut the supply by 65% by not selling enough land to build housing, what do you expect? You can't expect anything else. And if, you, if we think about it, the, 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 the reason we've got this problem is a structural problem. The Hong Kong government gets up to a third of its total revenue from land and property-related sources, from sales of land, from land premiums, from change-of-use premiums, from stamp duties, so on and so forth. By having all this money come from land, it means that it can keep taxes low, low taxes on income, low taxes on profit. So in effect, what we've got is a system which drip-feeds land onto the, the market at such a rate that it guarantees that prices will stay high. That means that you're going to get low taxes, but the price you pay is high property prices. So what does the government do? Well, it subsidizes housing for close to 50% of the population. So it takes the money from the land sales, from the wealthy people and from the business community, and it builds subsidized housing for 50% of the population. That's the structural way that Hong Kong works. Hong Kong can easily release a lot more land. Just go back to the land supply that you were releasing 20 years ago, and this problem will go away almost within two to three years, in my view. You would see housing prices stabilize. Uh, you would see uh, much, much uh, less uh, unaffordable housing, uh, and that's simply to do with simply to do with releasing land to produce housing. When you cut the supply by 65%, that result is inevitable. Um, 
I think we, um, I would like to add a point is that um, the government has fostered with the supply for housing for maybe well over 10 years. So I don't think um, to maintain the lesser fair and policy on increasing housing supply, but not looking at the quality of the home can lead us to a better future, especially solving the housing problem. That may be my point, but I also agree with um, um, another commentator um, theory on the um, general uh, um, high high housing price of Hong Kong. I think um, the vested interest be- behind the government and the developed industry may be a, such a reason why we can solve the housing problem. Again, Peter Churches, I know you've got to go in a minute, but isn't isn't the idea that just that the, the, the government can still have those? Uh, still have that principle and still have that policy, but it has to have minimum standards, and it has, as I say, minimum standards when it comes to other things, um, in, in safety, uh, environmental standards, uh, and so on. And, and so, th- and so, having a decent size for a human to live in is just one of those basic standards that sh- should also be met. I, yes. I think that I think that's probably true, and I think it's, it's very a very fair comment. It's just what should that number be? My point is is that, um, you know, what is, what is the figure? Uh, quite frankly, these flats that we're seeing of 128 square feet, uh, I think that, that I think anybody would agree that that is uh, not a livable size uh, for, a, for a, it might be a sleeping accommodation overnight or a hotel room or something, but it is not, it is not liv- livable. What, I'm, what I've, my experience has been that, uh, and this is in China as well and major cities around the world, that uh, flats that are around about uh, 250, 290 square feet net uh, net area can be perfectly livable. I've lived in them myself, and they are, they're, they're perfectly fine for one or two people. Three kids, no thank you very much. You need much more space than that. So I think there is a case for having some kind of minimum uh, standard in terms of uh, gross floor area or, or net floor area, um, uh, and I think the government has changed its rules on on interior bathrooms and open plan kitchens, which is very welcome. The rest of the world's been doing that for decades and decades. So uh, I, I think the minimum size thing could be something government could consider. All right, Peter Churchill, thanks for joining us, a Hong Kong-based economist and, and market analyst specialising in real estate. Uh, Mr. Lee, what, what about that, that point that, uh, for, you know, for a single person and increasingly the household size is, is getting smaller, there are a lot more single people looking for accommodation in Hong Kong. This sort of flat in a downtown area you find all over the world and uh, it's acceptable. Um, I... I actually agree with that because he's actually saying that um, if we have a um, minimum standard of this, this kind of flat, we can allow it to happen. But I would like to add that rather, and besides downtown area, we actually see this kind of flat all over the literature area too. So this is not a problem um, con- um, only happen in downtown area. But I also want to raise that even though... Uh, it is, this kind of flat is good for maybe single-person family, but actually there are many cases that maybe two-person and three-person um, because of the affordable problem living in such size of flats. So um, I think after we have um, looked at the, the uh, maybe standard of maybe 
single person family, and we also need to look at the maybe the mismatch between the aspiration of the maybe um, future home buyers and the supply of flats. Whether the maybe um, per past ten years, seven percent, or in 2019, thirteen um, percent of this kind of housing supply is matching the maybe the aspiration of the future home buyer. It will be a area of future research. Okay, uh, some uh, thoughts uh, from listeners. Jay says, nano flats are a way to give more people in Hong Kong mental illness, and the government knows this. Then our flats are also designed to fool the public and keep the prices of property high. Nano flats are a disgrace to the architects for space and better living. The government is also hell-bent on splitting families up by building small flats with only one or two bedrooms, not designed for grandparents and harmony living. That is uh, from uh, Jay. Um, Edward says... There's a whole village in Marwan sitting there empty since 1983. Check YouTube. Uh, it seems a few greedy owners holding out for more money from the government. The government should just compulsory purchase the rest with a deadline, take it or leave it, like the fishing trawler boats. This area could house many people. Uh, I'm not sure about Hong Kong cooking style, whether it lends itself to open plan living. That is uh, from uh, Edward. Thanks very much indeed. And uh, Jay also says, uh, if the government stepped in and stopped the property companies from holding property and keeping the prices high, then people could upgrade their properties. There would not be any need to make nano flats because people could all move on to bigger flats. Uh, uh, Barclay. Instead, all this property in the new territories is being held for China buyers. Some of these properties have been vacant for over five years. This is a disgrace. That observation from Jay. Thank you very much in, indeed for that. Thank you very much indeed to, to uh, Neon Liu, researcher with the, the Libra Research Community. Uh, we're going to uh, continue the uh, discussion uh, on um, nano units uh, and also about the uh, new COVID arrangements uh, for schools, um, whether they reach their uh, promised balance of uh, uh, serving the uh, pupils and uh, protecting their safety. Uh, we want to hear your thoughts on that and also if you want to comment on the arrest of those uh, 50, it's reported, some 50 uh, pro-democracy demo uh, uh, activists and uh, legislators and people involved in the primary uh, last year. We want to hear from you. We'll air some of those after the news. Before the news, the weather mainly cloudy, cool this morning, dry with sunny intervals during the day. The outlook becoming cold appreciably later tomorrow. 16 degrees now, humid at 64%. Officials said it was aimed at curbing the threat to Americans posed by Chinese software applications, which have large user bases and access to sensitive data. It comes after previous executive orders aimed at banning Chinese-owned TikTok were derailed by court rulings. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Back. This is Back Chats uh, on a Wednesday morning with Janice Wong and me, Hugh Chiverson. Uh, we were talking in the first part of the programme. We're going to continue talking now about uh, nano units, tiny flats uh, in Hong Kong. This is on the back of some uh, research suggesting that uh, some of those flats, uh, including uh, those less than uh, 260 square feet, uh, make up a, a proportion, quite a large proportion of the flats sold in the past decade. And we're drifting towards a nano flats. We were talking about the rights and wrongs. Uh, with one of the researchers in the first part of the programme, as well as Peter Churchhouse. We're joined now by Lao Chun Kong, who's Managing Director of Colliers uh, International. Later, we're also going to be talking about COVID arrangements for schools, uh, with concern that the uh, policy announced uh, on Monday is uh, simply uh, confusing. Uh, schools will be allowed to conduct half-day 
face-to-face classes for no more than one-sixth of their total number of students. How is that going to work? Who will go to school? Uh, Who can't? The Education Secretary says uh, it will reach a balance between controlling the pandemic and students' learning needs. Um, Do you agree? Uh, We want to hear from you. Backchat at rthk.hk. And also, as we've been hearing in the news, some 50 opposition lawmakers and activists, it's reported, have been uh, detained. I mentioned some of their names in the first part of the programme this morning. Obviously, it's quite an extensive list. Uh, if you've got any thoughts on that as well, backchat at rthk.hk. You can uh, email us your comments uh, or you can call us and the number is 233-88266. We are open for business. Uh, also, you can comment on our Facebook page. That's Backchat and RTHK Radio 3. Uh, on our Facebook page, um, uh, a few comments from uh, Henry, um, uh, who says... Um, the female guest is talking rubbish. I'm not sure who that was referring to because we didn't have a female guest. Um, uh, Henry also says, on nano flats, the chief reason is the government policy on controlling the supply of housing and land. I agree with Church House's comment. When I worked as an estate agent years ago, the estate agent said that government inaction on land, Donald Jung era, uh, ensured housing prices would rocket. Supply and demand, simple. When McElhose could solve housing to a considerable extent, why can't our government do the same? Also, the high land price ensures low tax. Are we prepared to pay 30% tax? And uh, Henry also says, for those 50-plus pandems and others arrested under the national security legislation this morning, I think many would only applaud and cheer. These people are well-known people who have participated in countless protests, destabilising Hong Kong acts, committed crimes, have outstanding court cases against them, plus other activities that are not made public, but which any reasonable person would have reasonably guessed that they have participated in planning, in channelling funds, etc., etc., in anti-Hong Kong, anti-China activities. The damage they've done to Hong Kong all these years since handover is just unimaginable. Uh, Henry says, Alvin Yeo would now experience for himself his famous statement, serving a jail sentence would make one's life glorious, interesting and fulfilling. Uh, those are comments from uh, Henry. Uh, Andrew Kay says, Benny Tai has been knowingly pushing his luck for years. He's a lawyer. Meanwhile, he has done nothing for the good of Hong Kong or its people. He belongs in jail, as I have said many times. Uh, and uh, back on the nano flats, Mushroom says in an email, we haven't heard how many properties have become available this year since we stopped people coming into Hong Kong, which would actually make a considerable number of properties available. Remember, Hong Kong keeps the economy running with the construction industry because they have destroyed all the manufacturing. That's from Mushroom. Okay, and we're now joined by Lao Chun Kong, Managing Director of Collius International, who is also the former president of the Institute of Surveyors. Good morning, Mr Lao. Good morning. And thanks for joining us this morning. In the first half of the program, we've been talking about uh, problems with nanoflats and what the government can do about it. I mean, what's your view on the development of uh, nanoflats here? I mean, what role should the government be playing? I think there are two roles here because, I mean, the the rise of the nanoflats is due to the government policy, um, so-called countermeasures for the rise in the property price. And that have increased the stamp duty, lowering the mortgage. Um, and that, coupled with the rising uh, public price, pushed the developers to consider building worse more flats in order to achieve, I mean, higher unit rate. And at the same time, I mean, the change in the building regulations to allow toilet without, I mean, windows, uh, and also to allow, I mean, more open kitchen uh, type of design. So these two major factors, I mean, would 
contribute to to the present situation. Um, and the government, I think, I mean, um, when I look at it, the, the, the size, some of them are um, even smaller than 260 square feet. I think we should have, I mean, better space, I mean, um, in, in Hong Kong to shoot the needs of Hong Kong people. That's why I, I think, I mean, um, there, are, there, are, there are ways, I mean, that the government, I mean, can um, encourage the developers to build bigger facts, I mean, uh, in the future. So from what you're saying, uh, government policy is to blame then? I think this is the major factor, because in the past, actually, even if the, the market is continued to rise in terms of property prices, we can see in, um, say, um, seven or eight years ago, developers, before the introduction of the, the stamp duty uh, increase and mortgage I mean, reduction, developers are building bigger units um, um, on average, something like 700 square feet or above uh, on average in, at that time. Because bigger flats can achieve higher unit rate, um, and that's why they can maximize the land value. But after the government, so I'm, has, sorry, I'm sorry. What do you mean higher unit rate? What does that refer to? The, because if you compare the smaller units and the bigger units, the developers will look at which type of units would produce better price in terms of unit rate or unit price for the project. For example, if you are building a 1,000 square feet unit, and that you will be very difficult to sell versus a unit of 300 square feet, and then you can easily sell them. For example, if they even if they achieve the same price, then you will go for the 300 square feet units rather than the 1,000 square feet unit. So this is why, I mean, the market force drive the developers to build smaller flats because they can easily sell them before the completion of the project. And the unit price in some cases are even better than the I mean, slightly bigger units. Mm. So the demand is then, the demand is strong for these small flats? I mean, definitely. This is why, I mean, um, the market forces, I mean, have driven the developers to consider building these of small units. The lump sum is small. There are more first-time buyers who want to go into the market and buy them. Is that, uh, I just wondering, you know, you said they could they could sell them straight away. Is that people uh, actually who want to live in them or is that people who want to uh, flip them? I think both. Um, I think for, for people who want to flip them, it's quite difficult these days, given the different, I mean, stamp duty measures. Although the research, I mean, um, um, that we have seen have shown that, I mean, the holding period is quite short, less than four years, I mean, for those units which have been changing hands. What, what I can see is that um, the, for the developers, if they look at the, um, the market, they will be ending, first of all, uh, at the end users. And also, even if they are looking at the investors, they need to make sure that those units can be leased out at reasonable rental or good rental. Yeah. You said the government could encourage developers to build bigger flats. How would they do that? I think, first of all, it is the right time to, for the government I mean, to consider relaxing um, the, the mortgage lending ratio and at the same time to get back to the normal stamp duty situation. This is the first step. Uh, I think, I mean, um, once the stamp duty uh, increases have been removed uh, and that the mortgage situation have go back to uh, the normal situation, the trading up situation in the, the residential market would uh, come back again. That means, the, the for example, um, the second-hand owners in the residential market, they can sell their small units and then trade up for slightly bigger units. 
those small units can then be opened up. I mean, for those first-time buyer, for them to 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 buy. So we, the the market will return to a, I would say, a more normal situation rather than right now. They have been skewed towards. I mean, those are smaller units. Yeah, for the for for the developers. What about the argument that um, you know things like uh, having uh, the so-called dark bathrooms with with no windows uh, and having open kitchens? Those are sort of standard in other places. There's no particular reason to to block them in Hong Kong. Um, I think this would require further research on that um, because um, for for small units, I'm not talking about those that are below 200 or even below 260. Um, they are. I would say modern I mean way of living that I mean um, people would like to economize the the use of the space and these sort of I mean um, toilets without windows uh, and open kitchen can actually suit some of the the youngsters who want I mean city living so I think it would require a, a, a more detailed research on how people make use of the space these days um, so I think if we can think of for example I mean Units cannot be less than, for example, the research have suggested, 260 square feet. I think we should explore this further. But in your view, is it possible, possible to make a comfortable living space out of something so small? I think, I mean, if you look at the market, people are prepared to buy those units even below 200 square feet. Um, and it depends on, I mean, the future, I mean, whether research findings will show, for example, whether those occupiers, how long they will stay in those flats, where they will stay there for a few months, one year, two years, uh, or whether, I mean, um, they are on the rental um, perspective or, or the buy side. So I think I mean, more research will be needed on those. But I think um, for, for Hong Kong, there are many youngsters, even, I mean, uh, for, for, for different types of people, they would like to live in the city center close to their work or close to entertainment, etc. So it depends on, I mean, how we see the future of these units in terms of price and rental. How is the market doing overall at the moment in these extraordinary circumstances? Um, for the overall residential market, I think it still holds on very well in terms of pricing. Uh, although on the rental side, we have seen that, I mean, um, the rental level has come down a bit uh, and uh, it reflects the, I would say, the true economy. Whereas for, for the um, residential, I mean, sale and purchase market, we can see that, I mean, people in Hong Kong are still very confident about the future in Hong Kong, I mean, by looking at the price that they are paying right now. Uh, and how long do you think this is going to go on? I mean, what's the direction of the market? I think there are two major issues here. First of all, um, the interest rate environment. If it continues, I mean, to hold on to a very low level, I mean, it will contribute, I mean, to a stable um, residential sale and purchase market. At the same time, we need to look at the real economy, how people are make, making their income, uh, whether their income could be sustainable or continue to, to increase a bit following some sort of inflation. So it depends on, I mean, whether the rental affordability and their ability to pay for the mortgages. 
Okay. Well, uh, uh, La Chun Kong, thank you very much indeed for joining us, Managing Director of uh, Colliers uh, International. Thank you very much indeed uh, for uh, uh, your comments and uh, for everyone who uh, contributed. Well, quick, uh, another email for, again from Mushroom who says, uh, government policy isn't to blame, government officials are to blame. Get rid of unqualified or incompetent officials. Stop sleeping with the contractors for the sake of the money. Dark bathrooms are a disgrace and not healthy, same as toilets and kitchens. The British designed building years ago for airflow, then the buildings department changed the regulations. That's uh, from Mushroom. Thank you very much indeed for, for that. And uh, one more comment on our, on our Facebook page. Uh, Matthew has uh, says there's a running... He's uh, uploaded a running tally of those arrested in Hong Kong this morning. Uh, says media reporting around 50 arrested under the national security law for subverting state power by participating in primary elections. Uh, 41 names so far from reports, and uh, he uh, lists those names uh, in English and Chinese. That's uh, on the on our Facebook page. If you want to contribute, as ever, uh, you can call us on two three three eight eight two six six, or you can email backchat at rthk.hk, or you can comment as uh, we've been hearing on our Facebook page. That's backchat on rthk radio three. Finally today, we wanted to turn to the issue of uh, schools and the uh, latest uh, COVID measures with concerns that uh, the uh, measures announced by the uh, Secretary for uh, Education on Monday are uh, rather confusing to help us uh, battle it out. Uh, Mervyn Chung uh, joins us, Chairman of the Hong Kong Education Policy Concern Group. Good morning to you, Mervyn, and Happy New Year. Uh, Happy New Year, Hugh. Uh well, yeah. Well, uh, as you have just said, it's a bit, it's a bit confusing. Yeah, and uh, already some some of the school principals have already point, uh, pointed out uh, in the 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 post uh, press conference uh, uh, led by the secretary of education and uh, on this topic, um, and they said that uh, there should be further clarification from uh, from the uh, education bureau. And uh, I think uh, the problem lies in. Um, the principals and and probably um, most of the teachers are longing for the resumption of uh, uh, physical classes on on campus instead of uh, having just a, a limited uh, operation of uh, in-person attendance uh, until the um, uh, the New Year holiday. So um, especially when we have already turned, gone into the New Year in 20, uh, 2021 and. What the um, the public examination uh, uh, DSE they're coming ahead, uh, students and teachers are getting more and more, and, and parents as well are getting more and more worried about the um, the, the prospect of of their students or, or children uh, doing well in the examination by getting themselves uh, you know uh, highly prepared for it. And uh, different schools will, will of course, uh, make their own decision on uh, um, which students uh, should uh, should uh, go back to school for for face to face classes. I mean, would it be better for the government to give out uh, clearer guidelines for schools to follow, and, and instead of uh, allowing them to decide for themselves? Uh, both sides have their merits uh, on, on on this count. Uh, on the part of the, the of the uh, of the education bureau, I think uh, they think that. Uh, well, it's uh, more or less a school-based uh, uh, running, so it should be left to the school uh, administration itself to decide how best they, they should proceed with, with this kind of in, in-person attendance arrangement. But then they, um, I think for, for the schools themselves, they might think that if there, should, uh, there, there can be more precise guidelines as to how to do it, then that might be uh, run more smoothly and also 
can get the parents uh, to support such uh, such arrangement uh, more easily, because I think uh, parents of students at all levels in uh, both primary and secondary schools might want their children to to have more uh, in-person uh, lessons uh, in, uh, on campus. Uh, so this is rather you know, contradictory, but anyway, I think uh, if there can be, yeah, if there can be um, more precise guidelines from the education bureau that might that might help the schools to make uh, more acceptable and <coughs> and and effective arrangements uh, on, on 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 this subject. And what have you heard from um, maybe a teachers or parents so far? I think uh, many of them uh, do think that uh, whether or not to resume uh, on a full scale or on, on a much bigger scale uh, in-person uh, 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 classes on campus will, uh, depends almost exclusively on, uh, on advice from medical experts. And this is true. But then uh, one thing is... Uh, if such a, any any announcements of arrangements on the part of the education guru should give you know, a, a longer advance notice. Now this time is just about one week's notice, and uh, school school administrations do think that um, uh, within just uh, you know five working days, uh, they they might not be able to to make uh, enough uh, enough effect, effective arrangements or notifications to parents and students and teachers on what to do uh, in, in the coming week. So uh, in the future, if the, the, uh, the advance notice can be, can be uh, you know, given more, more, uh, a, a longer duration, uh, that would facilitate students, uh, uh, schools themselves to make uh, more, 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 uh, more suitable arrangements based on their, their own uh, situ- uh, you know, school-based situations. Uh, in relation to the parents and uh, students and teachers, and like and you, then, and yeah, like yeah, you yeah. said, uh, the the government has given a, a one weeks uh, one weeks notice uh, this time. But uh, but but parents, uh, many parents, they're still waiting for um, schools' decision. They still don't know what to do. Yeah, that, uh, that uh, yeah, that's a problem. Now, for instance, uh, doing uh, Zoom classes and uh, and uh, de- de- delivering uh, in person uh, lessons. Uh, rather, you know, uh, rather different. So, if teachers are uh, given you know more time to 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 know about the, the actual decision, they they can adjust their their, their preparations accordingly. Uh, so that within uh, uh, an increasingly limited time span, uh, until uh, until the summer vacation, they 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 can make the, the best use, uh, best and more more efficient use of the limited time they they have on hand. Right. And schools, I mean, they are quite, they can be quite competitive. I mean, if one school starts to have uh, more lessons than uh, the other, another school, then uh, I'm, I'm sure there'll be uh, some, some complaints from parents, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, because uh, as you can read from the newspapers, uh, some students, uh, are parents, of course, are, are getting worried. And then the same, uh, the same, you know, sense of anxiety has also existed. It has also exists a variety of, you know, among the students, especially those in the, in the senior forms, uh, like the, the DSE classes, because over the past uh, over the past half to one year, I think uh, last year uh, when they were in secondary five, students 
uh, you know, this group of students has already experienced a lot of difficulties and, uh, and a shortage of uh, actual, actual class time. And then once they step into secondary six, uh, they want to catch up on what they, they have missed. But uh, eventually, uh, they found that it's, it's getting difficult because the class has already stopped it from early last month. And then uh, there's no prospect of having it reopened uh, in the near future, at least uh, until the, the New Year holiday, all the way until the middle of February. And then the DSE examination, though deferred this year, will commence in April. So I think uh, the sense of anxiety uh, is getting uh, increasingly uh, intense. Yeah, I mean, you know, this is going to amount in the end to something like two years of serious disruption to to education uh two years in you know the life of a school child is a is a big chunk isn't it are you worried that there's going to be this big gap in our children's education yeah i i i do you know share the concern and i'm also you know have similar worry now uh for for especially secondary six students they are they are at the end of, of the roads for their secondary school education and the next step is to to you know, go into university. So if they are so they have a sort of uh, through no sort of uh, of anybody, uh, if they, they are further cut short in in the uh, death and wave of learning, they might experience difficulties in catching up the, uh, the much more difficult curriculum at the universities when they become fr- uh, you know freshmen uh, you know, of, of different uh, programs uh, at, at the local uh, institutions of higher education. Mm-hmm. Do, do you think that they are missing out? Do you think that uh, the distance learning is is the same as uh, as face to face? I think they're the same because uh, this, uh, this is the most uh, second best uh, teacher learning method. Mm. Because uh, actually, even students themselves, uh, students and teachers both admit that. Um, it can't uh, do 100% uh, effective uh, teaching, uh, teaching and learning through this kind of Zoom, you know, Zoom mode. Because after all, uh, there is a clear lack of uh, very effective um, interactions um, between the teachers and, and the students. And this is, mo- I think, uh, most steady in terms of the, um, the, uh, the effects of learning. So uh, I think uh, some kind of... Um, Face-to-face context is vital, and hope this can be further sorted out between the the, the educational bureau and and, and 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 the schools. There's also all the other stuff, isn't there? There's the the extracurricular work. There's the um, socialising. There's the physical education as well, which is being missed out. Yeah, uh, all, all these are problems. All these are problems, and uh, and also I think uh, with many of the physical education venues like the public parks and uh, athletic tracks and these things have become closed. Students taking um, such pra- uh, practical courses as physical education in the DSE will suffer. So uh, well, we, we, we have uh, too much to catch up uh, in terms of the, uh, the curriculum, uh, the effective teaching and learning of, 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 of different subjects, uh, DSE examination, attendance and and, uh, and 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 uh, effective uh, 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 implementation, plus the kind of uh, social interactions among the students and 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 uh, with teachers, you know, to, so many issues and, and problems to tackle. 
and I hope that there will be well more 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 intensive uh, uh, discussions between the uh, schools and and uh, and also schools and parents uh, to get at least uh, uh, the sorting out some of these issues. Uh, it's, I mean, it's notable in Hong Kong that we've been very quick to close the schools. It's almost the first measure uh, that was done, uh, you know, at the beginning of last year. And other places, it's the very last thing they do is is uh, they're very reluctant to close the schools. Here we seem to jump at the chance. Do, have you noticed that? Yeah, 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 that, 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 that's the case. So I think over the next, uh, uh, next year, uh, at least over the next year, if not over the next uh, two to three years, um, the, 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 the school holidays would need to be considered uh, whether or not they should be, uh, you know, such a long, a long, a long vacation like uh, Christmas break, Lunar uh, New Year, Easter, and especially some summer holiday would continue as usual, or they should be rescheduled so as to allow allow schools to have more flexibility to maneuver in terms of the provision of. Uh, some kind of backup classes, uh, face-to-face contact, uh, consultations, and all these things uh, to the students and parents as well. Okay, well, Mervyn Chung, Chairman of the Hong Kong Education Policy Concern Group, many thanks for joining us this this morning. Uh, thanks to everyone who uh, chipped in as well. And uh, Janice Wong, co-host today, thank you very much indeed. The weather forecast now before we leave you. It's going to be mainly cloudy today, cool this morning, dry with some sunny intervals during the day and temperatures getting up to about 19 degrees. The outlook becoming cold appreciably later tomorrow. Temperatures falling to around 8 degrees in the urban areas on Friday and Saturday and a little bit cooler in the new territories, remaining cold early next week. 16 degrees, the latest readings. The relative humidity is at 63%. Foreign domestic helpers live under the same roof as us. We should trust, respect, and understand each other to build and maintain a long-term harmonious relationship. It is important to remember that foreign domestic helpers can only reside and work in their employer's residence as specified in the standard employment contract. For inquiries, call the Labor Department hotline at 2717-1771. It's 9.30, the news with Samantha Butler. Around 50 former pro-democracy lawmakers and activists have been arrested for allegedly violating the national security law for taking part in a primary vote last year for the now postponed LegCo elections. Those arrested include former lawmakers Lone Guok Hung, Alvin Young, Wu Chi Wai and Lam Chuk Ting, as well as poll organiser Benny Tai. President Trump has signed an executive order banning transactions with eight Chinese software applications, including Ant Group's Alipay, Tencent's QQ Wallet and WeChat Pay. A Trump administration official said it was aimed at curbing the threat to Americans posed by Chinese software applications, which have large user bases and access to sensitive data. And the North Korean leader Kim Jong-un has acknowledged his country's economic difficulties in a speech opening the ruling Workers' Party Congress. Mr Kim said the most recent five-year plan fell extremely short of the party's goals. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. Well, he talks to journals as the stories unfold. Shoo-ga-doo-bee. Musos and actors.
tours. Good morning. No matter young or their own. There's tons of stuff going on. Moves them through the studio. Oh, yes, yes. Before their coffee gets cold. Don't be stupid, drink it. Because Phil Whelan likes to chat. Imagine helping people with just downloading an app and clicking something. I don't think the Communist Party wanted to do this. We have a nightclub on the roof. What if our country is run a different way? We welcome you to the morning brew. With a chef, he might be just kind of chewing the fat. He's really good at that. Because Phil Whelan likes to chat. Morning Good morning and welcome to Wednesday. Great to be back with you all the way through until one o'clock if you can stick around. Well, after 10 today, we're going to have a weekly rugby thing from Robbie McRobbie. He had a very high-level coffee morning to attend on Monday, but he doesn't want to miss out on his two minutes of stardom and to let you know what's going on. 10.40, some music and chat with Scottish singer-songwriter who's called Wallace Mayer. Now, Wallace joins us live on Zoom from Canberra, Australia, from where he's been a Morning Brew listener for quite a while. Now, he started sending me some of his awesome songs, kind of folky, last year. So today, what the heck, we're going to join the dots and play some more. After 11.30, RTL France's man in Hong Kong, Philippe Dovar, will be with me for the first time this year. Uh, we're going to be joined this time by France TV's Arno Miguet, who you may remember decided to stay in Wuhan, where he's posted a year ago, and just follow the developing events much more closely for his audience in France. I believe he's still there. We'll see what he's up to. And after 12 today, we're going to visit Chris Watts at his Motion Dynamics studio in Central to stretch you into the new year, especially if you've got runner's knee. That's the one. Join us on Facebook Live on and off throughout this morning. But you can't even find my 